Please pray with me. O Jesus, our humble King, our exalted King, speak to us this morning, Lord. Illuminate our hearts. It's in your name and for your glory we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, as I hope and assume you've picked up by now, this is Palm Sunday. Ah, yes, good. (laughs) Um, But this is a day in which we mark Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, It's a time of the Passover feast. This is a time in which Jerusalem swells in size as Jews from across the Mediterranean world and even beyond come to Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast. The crowds hail him as king. They've uh, heard of the, uh, the great sign of him raising Lazarus from the dead. And so crowds are, are also talking about these mighty deeds that Jesus has done. And so when he comes, when they see him, they get so excited because here he is charging the holy city, but he surprises them by riding on the back of a donkey and not a war horse. They cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. But this is also an ominous day because this is the day that is the final straw to those religious leaders. And you can hear it in our gospel passage this morning. I know it was a little chaotic downstairs, so maybe you didn't catch it. But in John uh, verse 19, the Pharisees look to one another and they say, do you see that we are gaining nothing here? They're accusing one another in that moment. You can hear their anger leaping off the pages. They are so enraged. And so what they do is they, they stir up the crowd for the next several days, uh, agitating them and irritating them. And so today, even though they might be crying out, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna, it's only a matter of days in which they begin to cry out, let us crucify him, let us crucify him. So from here on out, the church calendar slows down into real time. So over the next seven days, we walk step by step, minute by minute, alongside Jesus as he gets closer to the cross. We have services throughout this week, but even before those come, I I wonder if your imaginations might roam to consider what it is Jesus might be doing on Sunday afternoon or Monday or Tuesday as you're going about work and life. What would Jesus and his disciples have been doing on that week before his death? Well, please allow me a moment to give us a quick preview of what's to come ahead. So today he's hailed as king and savior. And then on Thursday, he has a final meal with his disciples. One of those disciples betrays him into the hands of the religious leaders. On Friday, Jesus is tried, beaten, condemned, and then eventually killed upon a cross. In a few moments, we're going to hear another gospel reading, which tells us that story. But then comes Saturday, and according to the way in which the Jews track the days, when sun goes down, that begins the third day, the day of the resurrection, and the church holds vigil vigil that night. We recount the ancient stories of God's redemptive acts in history. It is a joyous and celebratory night. It's when we um, say that, that one A word that we haven't been saying for the last six weeks. It comes back again. And then on Sunday morning, the celebration continues, the great celebration of the resurrection. We hear the great amen of the Father in that moment. So why is it that we do this every single year? 
Why do we repeat these things every year? Why do we tell these stories over and over again to ourselves and to our children? Well, one is to simply remember. We remember these things. As one person told me in our church a while ago, she says, I need the liturgy because I so quickly forget the story. We are forgetful people, aren't we? I need the liturgy because I so quickly forget the story. And so we remember it and we tell it to the next generation as well. We fold them into the great and mag- uh, mysterious story as well. But we, all, we also do this for another reason. Because these aren't just rote traditions. These aren't just scripts that we follow. These are actually ways in which we encounter the living God. Because Jesus rose, he sits on the throne, he breathes his spirit upon us. And these are ways in which we tune our ears to hear him more closely, to see, Lord, as I remember these things, are there, are there ways that you can shape me in this moment to, to tune my heart more into your heart, to care for the things that you care about and to discard the things that are not of you? Are there ways, Lord, that as I encounter you, I can become more like you? This is when the Holy Spirit moves among us. We pray and we ask for words of wisdom and for healings, for dreams, for encounters with God. This is a Holy Spirit week. But we also, as we reenact this story, we also expect to encounter God, to experience God. He uses these things to reveal himself to us, to speak to us, and to change us. We do these things because we expect to encounter the living God. Don't lose sight of that this week, especially if you're involved. I'm saying this to myself. It's easy to get caught up in the details and, you know, did this, get, did this candle get lit or did someone say this line right? The Holy Spirit is at work here. God is at work among us. So today what I'd like to do is look at, the, uh, at this poem, this ancient poem from the prophet Isaiah. This is a beautiful, old, ancient poem. And it meant something to the Jewish people in that day, but it's also a prophetic poem. This is something that that speaks to us even now. This is a poem that describes to us the mighty works that the suffering servant does, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This describes the events of Holy Week. Did you not hear that when Elise was so beautifully reading Isaiah to us? If you listen carefully, you will hear God singing to himself throughout these words. So even as this week unfolds, do take your bulletin home with you, meditate on these words, pray over these words. What I want to do today is I want to glean three prayers out of this passage. And may these three prayers be guides for us as we take this spiritual journey alongside Jesus. May these three prayers shape you more into his likeness. So first, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, we read that the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities. And then down in verse 8, he is stricken for the transgression of my people. In verse 11, he bears the sin of many. Do you hear this theme that's emerging through the poem? He bears the sin of many. In other words, what we see here is some of the spiritual work that Jesus the Messiah, the suffering servant, what he is doing here is he's taking our sin, the sin that's rooted so deep within us, the sin that's enslaved us for so long, 
is being pulled from us and spiritually placed upon Jesus Christ. All of our acts of violence, our lies, the deception that we have, our envy, our lust, all of these things are placed upon Jesus Christ himself. And then the text tells us that he's pierced, he's crushed. The wrath of God is satisfied upon Jesus. That word pierced is a term of violence. It's to be completely run through with by a spear. It's a final death blow is kind of the idea that comes with this word being pierced. You see, Jesus isn't just kind of pricked or annoyed as the Son of God who is hanging upon the cross. No, he subjects himself to death itself. He bears the full curse of sin where it is finally dealt with once and for all. He makes atonement for all of our sin. So may the first prayer that we bring into Holy Week may be one of repentance. May it be a prayer of repentance. This is why we fast throughout Lent. As we give up things, that's an, that's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come within our lives and examine the desires of our heart. Have you felt that? As you've been giving up things, or you, have you been tempted to uh, reclaim some of those things? I'll admit, I took a grace night the other day. I have to say this because my family was here. And I was like, I need a grace night right now. <laughs> but what this does is it stirs these desires that have within us. And it forces us to ask the question, how much do these things have mastery over us? It exposes the inner urges of our hearts. It draws attention to struggles or addictions or bad habits that we might have. That is the purpose of these things. Because then... In the events of Holy Week, we were reminded that Jesus deals with sin, that these hidden desires, these hidden addictions, these struggles that we have are actually dealt with once and for all. And then by the power of his resurrection, he gives us the power to defeat sin and shape us more into his likeness and enjoy the freedom of being like Jesus Christ. So may you bring with yourself into this Holy Week a prayer of repentance so that you can enjoy the beauty and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So also, what else can we glean from this poem? Well, we see that in verse three, the Messiah, Jesus, he was a man who was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And then if we jump down to verse eight, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. You see, Jesus not only takes our own individual sin upon himself, he also takes upon himself all of those, uh, those um, oppressive actions of our society and our culture. All of those um, unjust judgments are put upon him. All of the brokenness of our world is also familiar to him. He knows these things. He was rejected and despised. He was harassed by a mob of terror. He was thrown before corrupt leaders. He was wrongly condemned, horribly beaten. He was forgotten by the world. And he was also mocked and ridiculed by other criminals. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the brokenness and the sorrows and the sickness and the injustices of this world. He is so familiar with these things. And so secondly, as we enter into Holy Week, may we bring with us a prayer of lament. Because we bear these burdens also. If anything, these last several years have been an exposure 
of all of the brokenness of this world. And some of you have experienced that in more acute ways than others. But we all have something quite deep within us to lament, don't we? The Lord has placed burdens upon you, things that you care about, brokenness that you see that maybe those around you don't. And you, you carry these burdens, but you don't have to carry them alone. That's one of the great, beautiful messages of Holy Week is that Jesus' arms are strong and mighty, and he can take it. He can take all of our laments. So as you enter into the depths of Holy Week, bring these laments with you and place them before the foot of the cross. He takes them. He takes them. By his wounds, we are healed. And so what does that prayer look like for you? Maybe you pray things like, Lord, this is out of my control. This is so big. How can I ever have any power over this situation? But by your cross, you have redeemed the world. All things are in subjection to you, Lord Christ. By your resurrection, you have conquered death itself. Even death is not the final word. All of this, Lord Jesus, is in your hands. And in spite of all of this brokenness and the ways in which it's afflicting me and all of my friends, my loved ones, we still follow you, Lord Christ. So bring a prayer of lament before Jesus this Holy Week. Also in verse five of chapter 53, we read, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. And then down in verse 11, the servant will make many to be accounted as righteous. We receive his peace. We are healed. We are deemed righteous. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus isn't just at work in some sort of, um, I don't know, uh, cognitive sort of like, oh, I, I guess I've got to do this, you know, sort of way. He, yes, he is obedient, but this isn't a mechanical action of the Lord. He's compelled by love. He wants you to experience the peace of heaven. He wants you to get a glimpse of healing of hope for this life, of restoration in this life, emotionally, psychologically, sometimes physically. He wants you to experience his healing, but also he wants you to experience righteousness. What a beautiful thing to say that we can experience the righteousness of Jesus, that that sin doesn't have to plague us. He wants us out of his abundant love to experience his righteousness to know the difference between good and evil and always choose the good and the joy that comes from that. So may another prayer, a third prayer that we bring with us as we enter into Holy Week be a prayer to behold the love of God, the one who just does this because of his love for you. He wants you to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to experience his life and liberty moving within you, animating you, giving you joy and wholeness for this life. God is love, the Bible says. And Jesus tells us this. He says, greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for a friend. And then Jesus says, I call you my friends. And then upon the cross, he lays down his life for us. So may we behold the glory of God upon the cross. The love of God is most clearly seen upon the cross. The love of God is most clearly seen upon the cross. There are many opportunities to witness and behold the love of God this Holy Week. Maybe it's gonna be Maundy Thursday. It's gonna be the first time that we do an in-person Maundy Thursday service, by the way. We're excited about this. 
But may you be struck by the humility of God, that he descends and takes upon himself the form of a servant, that he washes the feet of those who would eventually betray him or abandon him. Or maybe you'll see the love of God on Friday in which we bring the cross down here and we pray before it and, we're in, and we invite you to touch the cross and be reminded that Jesus the man died upon the hard wood of the cross. May you be struck by the love of God there in that moment. You encounter God in that moment. Or maybe on Saturday in which we hold that vigil in which we all cram into this room. I hope we can make it all as we cram into this room. And the room is filled with the glorious story of his redemption, in which this room is filled with a lot of holy laughter. You will never have more fun than in that moment as a Christian at an Easter vigil. I promise. May you be filled with righteous joy, joy knowing that the goodness of God can be experienced here and now. Or maybe it's on Easter, meet, on Easter morning in which we begin that 50-day feast of the resurrection. How may you celebrate that feast, by the way? So may you encounter the love of God this holy week. Don't miss an opportunity. Don't miss it. May you bring a prayer of repentance this week. May you bring a prayer of lament this week. And may you bring a prayer of expectation to encounter the God of love He is a living God. How is he going to move this week? What's he going to say to you? What might he heal? What might he do for you? I wonder. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you sit upon the throne. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But you are also here and with us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak to us. And so, Lord, move among us afresh this week. Lord, open our hearts, open our ears that we might hear from you. May you shape our desires to become more like yours. We ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen.